Warning, this case discusses crimes against a child. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast. This is episode 73. Today, I will be talking about the murder of six-year-old Taylor Searing. My sources for today's episode are ABC 2020, season 44, episode 25, titled Wave of Deceit, ABC 7, Chicago.com, The Cinemaholic, 6ABC.com, and HoustonPress.com. As usual, all of my sources will be linked in today's show notes. Think about that tragic day. Every day, every day, I even have nightmares about it. (laughs) How Laura would come off to people was from the old sitcom Three's Company as Chrissy, the bubbly, you know, bleach blonde. She had told me for her it was love at first sight. We met each other at a time in our life where our marriages were falling apart. What is it with marrying all these men? (laughs) She wanted it to just be us. We're going to be together forever and you're not going to be with anyone else ever. I was so wrapped up and tangled up in all of this that so many red flags escaped me. This case takes place in South Padre Island, Texas. Laura Day stood out to people. She was blonde and attractive, and she wanted everyone to know that she did a lot of bikini contests and worked full-time. She then fell in love with Phil Day in 1997. They married a year later and had a son named Cameron. Laura had a commanding presence and almost demanded attention. She was a a very devoted mother, and she didn't miss any of Cameron's soccer games or practices. Laura, Phil, and Cameron lived in a mansion that you could get to by boat. Laura didn't have any close female friends, and it was hard for her to make connections with other women. Many men said that they didn't know if she was flirting or being friendly with them. And then Laura soon met the Searing family, David, Kelly, Sebastian, and Taylor. Tell me about Taylor. Ah, oh, he was, he was big, big personality, fearless. Brave? Brave not afraid of water at all he loved the water taylor just wanted to be like his dad david he was always with him but david had to travel a lot for work he would be gone for a week or two at a time and it affected his marriage with kelly in 2010 david started driving for a new company he was offered better hours and more time off but things got worse with kelly and he met laura david said he was attracted to laura and it was like love at first sight In summer 2011, David did bring Laura with him when he picked Taylor up. David Searing. Yeah, we um, met each other at a time in our life where our marriages were falling apart. And so we just kind of fell in love. I was going through a rough patch with uh, Kelly and Laura was very friendly. She was married too. 
she would explain to me the issues that she had in her marriage and uh, seemed as though, you know, neither one of us were really happy with our spouse. Laura was 12 years older than David, but he said she didn't act her age. The relationship became an affair. Laura was selfish and cared more about what she wanted. David did reveal to Kelly about his affair, and by May 2012, their marriage was over. Kelly was in love with him and was very angry. It affected Taylor, and he would cry in Kelly's lap. Laura's relationship with her son Cameron also became strained. Laura sent Cameron to live with Phil. A few months later, David and Laura went to Vegas, and they got married in August 2012. In David's divorce, he had a morality clause from Kelly. It said that he couldn't have overnight guests around Taylor, and he said this is why they rushed their marriage. David said that they did get married fast, but he wanted to be allowed to bring Taylor around Laura. Laura had a pool in her backyard, and Taylor loved to swim. He was very adventurous. They taught him how to swim, and he was very good. David always made sure he had a life jacket on. Laura told David that she had gotten the money for her house from some internet businesses. David was suspicious, but there were also rumors of adult films being made in the house. I've heard that some adult films were made. Um, not by us, but I did own an adult content business and I purchased um, images and some films from professional photographers. Kelly said she never met Laura in person, but Kelly didn't want Laura around Taylor. Laura told David that he needed to talk to Kelly because she wanted a relationship with Taylor. Laura was afraid that David would one day go back to Kelly. Laura said that she was not afraid of David going back to Kelly, but they were fighting to get full custody of Taylor. Laura claimed she wasn't jealous, but others said she was because of David and Taylor's close bond. David said Laura seemed to care about Taylor like he was her own. They baked, went to activities and movies together, and they even wanted to keep money saved for Taylor's future. But on to October 5th, 2012, everything changed. Well, how did it begin? What happened? Uh, it began um, on a Friday. And I picked Taylor up from school. And we didn't have any set plans as to what to do because okay, we got Friday, you know, daddy's still at work. Um, what would you like to do? He said he wanted to have a picnic on the beach. So Laura picked Taylor up from school and they decided to go to the beach to have a picnic. Kelly had allowed Laura to pick Taylor up. Laura picked him up from school and they stopped to get a smoothie and some chicken nuggets from McDonald's. Laura said their trip to the beach was a spur of the moment decision. David said Laura didn't mention this to him. They went home to get the beach stuff and went. The beach was packed because it was a Friday. Laura said they drove to find a more private spot. Taylor wanted to go swimming. Laura said she had Taylor wear a life jacket, but Taylor complained about the life jacket rubbing on his neck. Laura said she would take it off if he showed her that he could swim in the shallow water. She said she went into the water with him for a little bit. Laura said she went back on the water's edge, and Laura said Taylor went out too far and he was sucked under. Laura said she ran into the water, but she couldn't find him. He then came up face down. Laura said she screamed Taylor's name and turned him over, but he wasn't breathing. Laura said she panicked and she drove him to the hospital 12 miles away. At home, and I hadn't heard from Laura in a while, and that was unusual. And so I tried calling her, 
And several phone calls, no answer. Finally, a nurse answers the phone. And I heard the frightening words. It's Taylor. David called Kelly to go to the hospital. Laura said it took about 20 minutes to get to the hospital. She came in screaming that she needed help. Taylor didn't have a pulse and a breathing tube was put in as well as an IV for medications. It didn't seem like Taylor was going to live and Taylor was pronounced dead. Laying there, lifeless, blue, grayish blue. As soon as I saw him, I knew he was gone. In the back of my head, I may have known, but my mind would not let me believe that I had just lost my boy. Kelly said Laura was just standing there and showing no emotion. Laura claimed she was confused and disoriented. Laura said that Taylor had drowned and that she put him in the car. The doctors also said Laura showed no emotion. David said that Kelly had been screaming at Laura from the hallway and lobby of the hospital. The police were at the hospital. Some were taking pictures of Laura's car. The hospital was 12 miles away from the beach. Laura said she wanted Taylor's life to be saved, even though there was a firehouse closer than the hospital. The police wanted to bring Laura, Kelly, and David in for questioning. And I said, I don't care, be it God or the devil. I don't care what happens to me, my eternal soul. Please. Don't let this be reality. How many children do you have? One. You have one? And what's his name? How many? Did anybody tell you you were in custody? No, but I felt like I was. And what about David? Um, how many children for David? I don't know. I'm sorry. Can, um, I can barely hear you. There were crying type noises, but no evidence that there were any tears. And she had to be asked to repeat herself quite a bit when answering questions. At one point, the detective had to say, look at me, look at me. She has long blonde hair and it's covering her face. And During his interview, David did discuss the issues between him, Laura and Kelly and the custody issues. said she thought Laura was responsible for Taylor's death. Laura was trained in CPR, but she didn't want to hurt Taylor if she did CPR. She claimed she blew into his mouth, but he was not breathing. David said ver several very odd things in his interview. David said Laura was very jealous of Kelly. They wanted to move far away once they got custody of Taylor. So Taylor and, and Laura, Taylor 
I believe it was an accident, but I want to know the truth. Yes, I said, if you find out anything, if you find out otherwise, if it's not an accident, I want to know. David was asked if there is anything else he should be worried about. He said if Laura, he asked if Laura could hear him, and they said no. David was searching for information on Laura on the internet before this happened. Laura had several charges, including one for shooting her boyfriend on May 11th, 1982. David was shocked. Laura also had charges for theft, fraud, and, of course, murder. David had discovered it the weekend Taylor died. No charges were filed that night after their police interviews. David confronted Laura about what he had found. Laura said it wasn't her. In the information, it said she was Middle Eastern, and so he believed her. It asked me what I had told the police, and when I had told the police what I had discovered about her past, she just... I was just like, I can't believe you would tell them that. And I was, I told him, I said, I had nothing to hide. And I didn't. In 1982, Laura Feist was 17 and was living in Laguna Beach, California. Laura was dating James Jim Kendall, a 21-year-old college student. James was well from a well-to-do family. Laura and James had spent the night at James's house, and he had told her that he wanted to break up with her. He then drove her to her house the next day so she could go to high school. Laura got out of the car. Her landlord kept a gun in his home, and Laura knew that. She stole it and went back to James's car. Laura fired and shot him. J- James, or Jim, said, you shot me, and Laura said, yeah, I did. Laura then shot herself. The police arrived at the scene. James was in grave condition. James had been shot in the middle of the chest, and Laura had only shot herself in the shoulder. A card was found inside the car from a local jeweler. Laura had written that when she that she wanted to be buried next to Jim and that everything would go to her mom. Laura told the police that she wrote the note while she was being driven home by Jim. Laura's story changed and she said that she was being abused. She also said James wanted to kill himself. One story she said was James was abusive, but it didn't seem like James was abusive. Laura pled guilty to second degree murder. When you were just 17 years old in California, you were convicted of shooting your boyfriend and killing your boyfriend, James Kendall. I'm not supposed to talk about that. The judge made the decision to send Laura to the juvenile authority, not prison. While Laura was in jail, she met another inmate, Charles Norsby. Laura was released from the California Youth Authority after five years. She and Charles got married in Tijuana, Mexico. But Laura could see that Charles was messed up and she didn't want him to ruin her life. Laura continued her life of crime and then changed her name over and over. She also married three more times, and in 1993, she was convicted of bigamy. A witness came forward to say he was on the beach that day with Laura and Taylor. The location on the beach where Laura and Taylor went was odd. It was very desolate. They had passed areas where they were there were actual picnic tables, and she didn't administer a CPR or call 911. She didn't ask for help at all. A warrant for Laura's arrest was obtained. Laura's bond was set at $50,000. She was able to make bond just after 24 hours and return home with David. 
The news channel KIIII continued to cover the story of Taylor's death. Kelly wanted any witnesses who might have seen something to come forward, and a man named a man named Rene Ruiz did come forward. You came today for for what reason? Here's that little voice. Um, what was why are we talking? The one I got drowned out. Tell me exactly what what you. Rene Ruiz coming forward was a huge get for the prosecution because he is really their only witness. I'm walking to the back of my truck and she's like, like real high as like, you know, and I'm like, you know, like, well, hi. I don't remember me seeing the little boy, period, you know, but I do remember clearly that when she left, she left a little bit faster than normal. The most upsetting, troubling, telling thing that Renee Ruiz said is that when she ultimately left the beach, now remember, according to her, she has a dying boy in the back of her car. She waved and smiled. At in November 2012, Laura was living at home on bond. She wasn't allowed to be near children, but Laura said she wanted to go to the mall. David said no, but Laura put on a dark wig and went to the mall. Detective Pena was off duty and saw Laura and David at the mall. On December 4, 2012, Laura's bond was revoked and she was back in jail. Laura was called the wicked stepmother in the news and media. Laura was calling David from jail and she obvi and obviously the calls were recorded. The things that she said were shocking. In Laura's car, they found Taylor's underwear inside his pants. Taylor had changed in the car and Laura's defense said that Taylor had stayed in the car to finish his happy meal while Laura went in to get the stuff for the beach. Laura's calls from jail actually told a different story. He never even went to the house. And it just clicked. It clicked at that moment. That matched the evidence. In January 2013, Laura was charged with capital murder and child endangerment. Andrea Zavarius, a drowning expert, was asked to look at the case from the prosecution. They looked at the beach and the water conditions Laura had admitted that Taylor had been about 150 yards away from her. Her story didn't make sense, and things happened that wouldn't have happened. The story seemed to suggest that Laura had been next to Taylor the whole time. Laura went on trial in June 2013. Left him there while she decided she was going to lay out on a towel on the beach. And the evidence will show that any reasonable person would have expected Taylor Steering's life to be in imminent danger at that moment. Laura's defense said that mistakes were made, but Laura did everything she could to save Taylor. The trial lasted six days, and Laura was convicted of first-degree capital murder. She was sentenced to life without parole. The jury said they understood that she panicked, but they didn't know why Laura didn't call 911. David, supporting Laura, found an expert to try to free his wife and worked on her appeal. Um, just because... You know, she won't, she won't ever see the light of day. I've heard it said that she's the most hated woman next to the woman who killed Selena in Corpus Christi. Well, sucks to be her. David said he didn't believe Laura was guilty, and Laura claimed she's a victim of the justice system. Laura's house was sold, and David found Laura a new attorney named Angela Moore. They also found a new expert, John Fleetemeyer. Depending on the direction the waves are coming, the longshore drift can go in either direction. And that's a, a, a common 
factor or feature on most features. Certainly could explain why the little boy was 50 yards down the beach. What about her testimony stuck out? Were very simple concepts. I'm not sure how anyone could disagree with them. David said now he believes Laura's in the correct place and believes it wasn't an accident. They are now divorced. David said he didn't see how many red flags there were. And David said he was manipulated. David finally stopped writing to Laura in 2019, and Laura found a new man named William Irwin, who believes she's innocent. I think Laura was the only person involved. The fact that she still is almost blaming Taylor for wanting to go to the beach is ridiculous. I think Laura manipulated David. I mean, he found out about her past criminal history, and he stayed with her. He also let her pick Taylor up, which is what I think Kelly is the most upset about, and for good reason. Taylor was a sweet, adventurous little boy who died in a horrific way. And Laura needs to get her shit together and just admit to what had happened. My book recommendation for this week is Her Perfect Life by Emily Shiner. Eve's life is, seems perfect until you have to live it. Millie has just served a long sentence for murder she didn't commit. It's her identical twin sister Eve who was the killer and the person who framed Millie. Millie is willing to forgive Eve and hopes they can still be loving sisters. But when she is released, instead of welcoming her, Eve coldly rejects her. Now Millie only wants one thing, revenge. Eve seems to have the perfect life, plenty of money, a beautiful house. So Millie's plan is simple. She'll kill Eve and step into her shoes. But Millie soon discovers her sister's life is anything but perfect. She had become involved with a dangerous man, controlling, possessive, and ruthless. And now he owns Millie. Caught in a deadly web of deceit, she must continue playing the part of Eve. Her life depends on it. Can she find the strength to escape this new prison, or will she be trapped forever in her perfect life? It seems like this book kind of relates to today's case. Laura described her life as perfect, and now Millie wants to live her sister's somewhat perfect life. However, neither Eve or Laura's lives are perfect. I also like the dynamic of these sisters. I know it happens, but the fact that someone could frame another person, especially a family member, is heartbreaking. I give this book a 9 out of 10. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. Do you think Laura wanted Taylor gone to have David all to herself, or do you think it was an accident? I'd love to know what you think. Please subscribe to my blog, follow me on Instagram and Twitter, email me some recommendations or thoughts, buy me a coffee, and please leave me a five-star rating or review. I'll be back next week with an all-new case and book recommendation. And remember, it's crime o'clock somewhere.